0: I have Psalm 84 open in front of you and our text this morning is really verses 3 and 4 and as I said we're looking at the spiritual home that we all need and uh, this psalm is really so rich in many ways but the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wants us to be absolutely clear that there is nothing in this life that compares to knowing God. Nothing in this life that compares to knowing him and living for him and walking with him day by day. And for the psalmist, it's quite clear that this comes above everything else. Nothing comes close to this. In fact, we see as we read through the psalm together that he would give everything for it. Knowing the Lord is is everything to him. And not just if life is going well and plain sailing, But when he's in the storms and when he's in the valleys, when life seems to be overwhelming and causing him to despair, even then he says nothing compares with knowing God and knowing that God is there and he is with me and to be blessed in God. And he begins the psalm with the words, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. And if you notice, he ends then with verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Blessed, happy is the man who trusts in God, who knows God. So you and I are faced with this question from the start. Do we know God? Do we really know him? Not just know about him, but know him. You know, when we come to worship on the Lord's Day, are we just going through the motions or are we seeking that encounter with the Lord to worship him and to know his work and his presence? When we read these words of the psalmist, can we associate with what he's saying? Are we able to say that the loving kindness of God really is better than life? Do we long for God and that communion with him, that knowing of him? And you say, well, how do we know God? Well, the psalm again gives us great help as it tells us that there are key things, there are vital things that must be there if we are to know God in a real way. Ultimately, what we find in this psalm is what biblical Christianity is all about, what the gospel is about, that real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not externals. It's not empty religion. It's not just going to church or trying your best or a set of rules and experiences. It is knowing the one true and living God through Jesus Christ. And it's so clear, this real personal relationship with God is evident in the psalmist's life. And when you look at the opening verses of the psalm, look at verses 3 and 5, he says, My King, my God, blesses the man whose strength is in you. There is a real experience of God and a knowing of God in this man as he writes. And then the psalmist tells us in very precious terms that the only way that sinners like you and me can know God is through Christ. He says, I know God through that which is given at the altars. That's what he says. And you say, well, what does that mean? How does that point to Jesus well very simply it is pointing to the rescue the salvation the deliverance which will be found and is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross the Lord Jesus Christ would lay down his life as the ultimate sacrifice as the substitute as the savior of his people He said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is his own claim. And friends, we need to be bold in that. It's an exclusive claim. It is a clear claim. And there are many who try to work in and say, well, there might be other ways, but if you do that, you are denying him. He said he is the only way. And so we come through him alone and we plead his sacrifice, his body broken, his blood shed on the cross. There is only one new and living way open to God and that is through the work of Jesus. And in this psalm we see that the writer deliberately takes comfort in the objective truth about God. We're going to look more at that tonight and direction when we're in a dark place. But it's such an important principle for us if we're believers he doesn't just look to his own feelings and moods you know there are many things that can make us happy in life at a certain level but just feeling happy or having some experience is not an indication in itself that we know God of course knowing God brings deep joy But the sure foundation that each of us desperately needs, according to the psalmist, rests on the character of God, and the greatness of God, and the majesty of God, and being right with God. And the psalmist brings us back to the truth of Scripture, which explains that God's grace not only reveals to us who He is, but God's grace, when it is at work, also reveals who we are. And friends, if we are to know something of the foundation and the experience of the psalmist, and in fact the people of God through the ages who've known God, then we have also been brought to see the truth, not just about God, but also concerning ourselves. Now, don't misunderstand me, we must always start with God. We must always start with God. But in the light of his perfection and holiness, we have to consider ourselves before him. And this is part of God's work, the work of sovereign grace in our lives, to know God and to believe him, to think biblically about him and also to think biblically about ourselves. And when that's set in place, we are in the position to be able to rest content in the face of adversity. We're able to rejoice in the Lord even in the hard places and to sing his praise even when the trials come. And you say, well, what are we to know of ourselves? Well, we're told in this psalm that we desperately need a spiritual home. And in verse 3, the psalmist gives this really precious picture. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Now, there are those who try to interpret that and say, well, the psalmist is, is complaining he's having a a moan about his position and they argue and they say well he says oh the sparrow and the swallow they've been able to build a nest on your altars in the tabernacle but I'm far away from the tabernacle and I can't find this place and so they interpret it that the psalmist is moaning and that he's complaining well friends I couldn't be further from what is being said here You know, you could never have a nest on the altar where animals' bodies were broken up and then burnt. It's impossible. There's no place of safety for a sparrow or swallow there. So what is the psalmist saying by using that picture? Well, he's basically saying, I'm like a sparrow. I'm like a swallow. But I'm like the sparrow that has found a house for herself and I'm like the swallow that has found a nest where she may lay her young. And thank God the place where I have found the right position and all the right conditions for making that that dwelling and laying my young is your altars, O God. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. It was only when I came to see myself as a, a type of sparrow and swallow that I discovered my need and went to God and found the answer that I desperately was searching for. Now, this theme is seen throughout the Scriptures and particularly in the New Testament. Remember the Lord Jesus. He was very clear why he came. We've looked at it recently. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Repentance. Or Luke 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, men and women like you and me have to realize that our deep problem, our deep need is the reality of our sin. And that our relationship with God is broken. And the only people who know what it is to enjoy the blessings of the gospel of believing in Christ are those who have been brought to see their condition without him. And the tragedy is, friends, that the vast majority around us, maybe even you this morning if you're outside of Christ, don't see that problem. They don't see that need. They think they don't need Jesus. And that's why there's such a a disinterest and an apathy apart from those who are antagonistic. They've never seen themselves as God sees them. Never seeing themselves as they really are, and so they're shut off from the fact that eternity is real, that judgment is real, and that without Christ there is no hope. And so this picture is really important because it shows us and it tells us a lot about ourselves and our state, those things which are revealed when God is at work in a person's life to bring them to Himself. And they show us our need and our need to turn to Christ. Characteristics of believers and what have been brought through. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me tell you. The true Christian is one who has been brought to feel their smallness. You know, they've become aware of their own smallness in this vast universe. You know, a sparrow, apparently, is one of the smallest birds And the psalmist says that he came to see himself as a little sparrow or swallow. You see, when God works in a person's life, they're brought to see that life is so much bigger than just them. You see, this, this world, you know, folk are so absorbed with themselves, but the Christian sees the world in a very different way. You know, the world goes on and does all it can to try and not think about how things really are. And so they try to throw themselves into things that that won't cause them to be alone with their thoughts as a pace to life and a a pressure in life to fill it up and to to aim for things. But the believer has been brought to be still, to be arrested by the truth, to be caused to think, and they begin to realize just how small they are like a, a little sparrow. You know, the universe alone is vast. It is so vast, we we don't know all there is to know. You know, you think of those experts working desperately hard to to discover and analyze and explain what is around us, and they they talk of light years and billions of miles and and vast constellations and how impossible it is to, to number all the stars. But the believer has been brought to see that God is behind all this. And they glory in it. They begin to think of how they fit into this vast universe. And they they think, uh, you know, as the psalmist in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, staggering the, the wonder of it all, you know, some opponents of Christianity, they accuse Christians of being wrapped up in themselves and, you know, mockingly ask, you know, who are you that God should think like that of you? Sadly, the emphasis in many presentations of modern Christianity is, is indeed centred on man and to make people feel good. It's the wrong emphasis. You know, there are also those who struggle to find purpose in the world. They struggle to see how God could could think on them, and some get caught in a spiral of despair and see their lives as insignificant and pointless. But the believer has been brought to see that they are part of this vast creation, and behind is a glorious God, a sovereign God, and they felt their smallness. And also, the true Christian has also been brought to feel, as the Lord was at work in their lives, a homelessness. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in addition to knowing their smallness, there is a, a sense of homelessness, something that the psalmist brings out the sparrow has found a home at last. The sparrow's been looking for a home and then has, has at last found that place to dwell. The swallow has been seeking a nest where she can lay her young. She's been, been looking for somewhere and then she's found that place of safety. And it gives a, a precious picture of that, that sense, that feeling that comes to those who have been brought to saving faith by grace. You know, it's a, a sense of lostness in this world. Or a restlessness, you know, here is this, this vast world, a world not of our creating, and we're brought into it, and there's so much to consider in its greatness. What is life? You know, why, why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Where are we going? What, what is the meaning of it all? And when you begin to consider those big questions, there's a sense of restlessness. The world in which we live is full of restless people. You know, men and women clutching at so many things to try and deal with this restlessness that they know inside. They, they crave that peace. They crave that, that contentment. And they want that direction. They want that meaning. And then when they, they can't find it, they at times try to run away from it all. At times our whole lives can be rocked and shaken up and we feel as though we, we just don't know where we are and we, we seek rest and we peace, but there's this, this restlessness. You know, you look at the health surveys and reports, the rise in health issues connect to stress and strain and blood pressure and nerves are fraught and anxiety and it's all around us. Think of the conflicts in society and all the pressures, the cost of living, financial worries and all these things. And it builds up and huge consequences for provision and supply and the stake creaks in trying to find solutions. But what we're seeing is the manifestation of those deep issues connected with the restlessness which the psalmist speaks of. As one has said, he says, in effect, I began to feel like a little sparrow or swallow. I couldn't find a house for myself. I wished I could have found some place where I could have built my nest in safety, but I couldn't find one, and I was flying around and becoming weary and tired, and I didn't know what to do with myself, and what could I do? I flew helplessly, seeking, searching, but I couldn't find a place. I was speaking with someone recently and they were sharing about the turmoil that they felt in their heart. You know, the relationships that they pursued had broken down and they they, they knew no peace. And there was that that realisation and that restlessness. And, you know, when people are faced with these things, they don't don't like it. So they try to, to bury it away. And some just say, well, we'll just get on with life. And we just won't think about those things. But then something forces us to face it again. Maybe it's some sadness or some trouble or some grief or a loss. And, oh, we long for peace again. But they try to escape the realities and fill up their time. And that's why we see people turning to things like drink and drugs and media. But the restlessness continues. And even though they, they try and fill that void for a moment, but then the effect passes, the drink ends, and then the next morning comes. Or the experience ends, and you're left again, and the restlessness is there. What is the point of life? If only you could find answers. And all these things are there, and we see it. You know, you've probably heard many, many times of a man called Augustine. And he was like that and he wrote an early church father and in his confessions he tells you all about that struggle in his own heart. He was a brilliant man. He was a great thinker. And yet he went through a time where he just couldn't find any rest for his troubled soul. And he was like the little sparrow, endlessly looking and searching and flying from this to that. But then he found his rest. And he found it in Jesus Christ. You see, the person who becomes a Christian has known that restlessness, that desire for a home, that need for a spiritual home, that, that settled state. But also, the true Christian has not only smelt, uh, sorry, not only felt their smallness, not only felt their restlessness and that homelessness, but also has felt their vulnerability. You know, the one who comes to know God by sovereign grace has also been brought to feel their fragility and vulnerability. They become aware of their own helplessness. You know, the little sparrow knows that it's got many enemies, bigger foes, other birds and cats and predators waiting to pounce, and so they need that place of safety somewhere out of the reach of their enemies. You know, we're blessed we're very blessed really to often have many little birds coming to sit for a moment in the garden and uh, there they are if there's a slight movement they jump at once now as you know we've got two cats and uh, they like to press their faces up against the window and antagonise the birds and they're always looking the birds there's a nervousness their instinct is full of caution because in a moment the enemy could come they're vulnerable It's a great tragedy that so many men and women live life with no awareness of their own vulnerability or the enemies that prowl. But when God begins to work in a life, a person becomes increasingly aware of their own helplessness and their fragility and their vulnerability. You know, think of how many people go through life without thinking and then suddenly their own fragility is brought to bear. Maybe some illness comes or some problem which they didn't see coming. They, they may have mocked Christianity and they've been living life and life has been good. And why bother with religion, you know? There they were on the branch, on the lawn, enjoying things, but then a predator comes. And it can come in many different ways and these things show us our frailty and they come and, and we've got no reply in and of ourselves. We, we can't do anything about them. We, we don't know what we can do or where to turn. But as God works, as we're awakened spiritually, we become more aware of the, the spiritual onslaughts of the world and the flesh and the devil. And we think we're not like others who have failed in certain situations. We think all oh, will be well, but then the attack comes and something we held precious is gone. Things that we prized of ourselves, gone in a moment. The enemy swoop. we're helpless. And it's only when the Lord begins to work in a person's life that they're awakened to themselves, awakened to their sin, that there is something seriously wrong in their own hearts, the power of sin within and outside, they're awakened to the reality awakened to the world around them and how it only wants to consume them and ruin them. And they begin to see this and they feel their vulnerability and their helplessness and their light, that sparrow and that swallow and their enemies seem so strong. I wonder if you've ever felt overwhelmed in life. The true Christian has been brought to see their vulnerability and fragility. But the true Christian has also been brought to know the value of their soul. You know, the psalmist speaks of the swallow having a wonderful instinct. They know that the most precious thing in their life is lay their eggs, bring up their young. Protect them, feed them, bring them on to maturity when they can fly from the nest and then go on. And so to the little bird, nothing is as precious as this. And it's the reason why she's been seeking and searching for a home, a place where she can build her nest. You know, the ultimate secret of every godly Christian, the real secret of the psalmist is that he has been brought to realize that the most priceless thing in his life is his soul. The soul remains for eternity. God has put it into us. It's there, Genesis 2-7 states that God breathed into man so that he became a living soul. And that's what sets men and women apart as being made in the image of God. It's the most valuable thing. And Paul says the same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And Paul is saying that even though he's knowing these difficulties, he's at peace, he's blessed, because he's committed his soul, he's committed himself, and it's safekeeping to God in Christ. And so no matter what may come, he is safe for time and eternity. The Lord Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 6. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So you say, well, what should we be concerned about? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, the body is important, but what about the soul? Mark 8. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And the psalmist says here, he's like the swallow. He's got this priceless treasure that he needs to protect and find a home. For the swallow, it's her young, but for him, it is his soul. And he's awakened to this. He wants to find a place where he can make it safe and lay it there. And so he seeks, is there no place where I may know that my soul is safe for all eternity? And the question is, are you concerned for your soul? Have you realized that you'll have to give God an account of what you have done for your life in this world? Do you understand that? Do you understand the preciousness of what you have been given And so we see that there is this need of the sparrow and the swallow. But thank God the psalmist puts it positively because the sparrow has found a home. The swallow has found that nest. And that's the glory of the gospel. It satisfies all those needs that we've spoken about. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself picked this theme and addressed it, answering the question in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered? Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. How much greater, he says, is your heavenly Father's concern and care for you, if you're a believer? Friend, have you ever felt that smallness, that vulnerability? Have you been brought to see the reality that you have a precious soul? The dangers that swirl around, the eternity that beckons. Have you wondered how God could care for you in this vast world? You know, let me give you some help from the Scriptures. In Luke 8, we read of how the Lord Jesus Christ was going at the request of a man called Jairus to go and see his daughter who was ill. In fact, who had died. And as he was moving to Jairus' house, suddenly a crowd was with him and gathering around him and they were surrounding the Lord Jesus and pressing him so that, you know, they could hardly move. And suddenly the Lord surprised the disciples when he asked, who touched me? You know, he was in the midst of this great crowd and, and then he says to the disciples, who touched me? And they turned to him and said, Well, well master, you know, the, the multitudes, you know, they throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? You know, there's loads of people. How could we know that? But the Lord insisted that someone had touched him. And at that point, a poor woman in the great crowd stepped forward, and so ashamed of herself, she could hardly lift her head. She came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason that she had touched him. She had touched him in her desperate need. And what I want to emphasize is this, that even though he was surrounded by a vast crowd, the Son of God knew the individual, knew the the lonely woman with the issue of blood who nobody could heal, who was isolated in the midst of the crowd. And even though he asked who it was who had touched him, he knew. And that is still the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, though, dear friends, you are one of billions, and though the world would count you as worthless, a speck amongst the masses, God says, I know you, and I know your need. You know, even at the cross we see it, although one thief mocked Christ, the other pleaded that he would remember him when the Lord came into his kingdom, and he did. Even there, the Lord Jesus had time for that sinner, even though he was in agony upon the cross, even though he was atoning for sin, even though he was experiencing and enduring things that we could never imagine, he was ready to hear the isolated cry of the thief and to give him that promise, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, this is the glory of the gospel. This great God who made the world And the universe and the stars. The majestic Lord of hosts. Whose name the psalmist celebrates seven times in the psalm. He knows you. And he's interested in you. Maybe you feel like the sparrow. Maybe you feel that restlessness. And maybe you desire that spiritual home. Dear friends look no further than Jesus Christ. And don't listen to the lies of the devil. The only rest that a restless soul can ever find and know that contentment and that safety and that safety for all eternity is in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Don't listen to the enemy who says, oh, well, go into the world and do this and do that and that'll give you the satisfaction that you long for. No, dear friends, the spiritual home that we all desperately need is found in Jesus Christ. It is found in him alone alone. And it is found through his saving work, through his person, being united to him, having our sins forgiven and dealt with and being made right with God. And you know, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you trust him, you will know that the maker of heaven and earth loves you and cares for you and holds you and will keep you, sent his son into the world for you. And so let me ask you, do you seek rest this morning? The Son of God calls to him those who are weary, those who are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. The world won't with all of its fleeting and fading pleasures. There's only one place you will find rest. It is on the altars. It is at the cross. And it's only as you come to see his dying on the cross in your place for your sin that you will know the peace and rest that he has secured for those who trust in him. And so Jesus says, come unto me. Come unto me and I will give you rest. Come and find that rest that your soul longs for. Come and find that home of safety for time and for eternity. And you know when the believer dies... They're taken to their eternal home. Do you know, they often spoke of it, taking it from the scriptures in days gone by, the Father's house, the home of his people. That's where our longing is if you're a believer. Do you seek safety this morning? You won't find it in the world. But when you come, you'll find God to be your sun and shield, verse 11. And though all the forces of the world and the flesh and the devil and darkness will rail against you, Christ will keep you to the end. And he's a mighty saviour. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Nothing can separate us from his love. Safe, protected, surrounded forever. Where is there safety for your soul? The most precious thing you have is in the Christ who died for you. The Christ who saves those who call upon him is the Christ who keeps us. And he will take us home and he will present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Do you know that, friends? Do you know that you have that home which is sure? Can you affirm that God knows you and cares for you, that he is your God? And that you know him and that you walk with him and even though trials and troubles come, that he holds you. And my soul is safe in the keeping of Christ because when you know that, then like the psalmist, you'll say, there's nothing like it. Nothing compares to it. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Are you trusting this morning? I pray that you will be. And I pray that you will have found that spiritual home that we all need in Jesus Christ. He says this morning, come, come and find rest. And then tonight, God willing, we'll see how he directs us through this dark world. Amen.